Welcome to the next edition of the Reimagining Mobility podcast series. I'm here with Tim Daniel. He's our uh, MTI segment lead for ADAS. Thanks for joining me today, Tim. Thanks for having me, Stefan. We'll talk about ADAS today, and maybe we'll start out with ADAS six, seven years ago maybe was identified or was Mm -hmm. associated with blind spot detection, maybe lane keep assist. I don't know. I don't exactly remember. Certainly lane keep uh, is now a big one, right? But blind spot was a big one, maybe forward collision warning or adaptive cruise, right? AEB. AB mm-hmm. maybe as well. But tell me, what has really changed over the last five to six years that makes this area now so exciting and especially getting, getting into then L2, L2 plus and L3? Well, one of the things that I really see is the distraction level of drivers. Even on my way to work this morning, you see people weaving around, they're on their cell phones, right? And so even 10 years ago, you look at how the use of cell phones has increased. And when ADOS was in its infancy, probably no one even realized how much that would be an issue um, going forward. But mm-hmm. you, know, you look at the, at the, um, uh, the features like AEB, um, it would be great to have that on every car. I know it's um, it's uh, being uh, voluntarily mandated by the OEMs by next year in August, and that's great, but you still have a lot of cars on the road that won't have it. And um, that alone will help tremendously in uh, avoiding rear-end collisions. I know I've been in several, and a lot of them happen just from distraction. So um, it's great to see the, the um, inclusion of these uh, ADOS features more universally. Um, but I think we've got a long way to go. So just having blind spot detection or AEB and FCW is great, but we need that deployed on every vehicle. Mm. And uh, then uh, with the advent of like ACC and LCC, especially with distraction as well, keeping people in their lane, um, taking away from uh, uh, distractions of uh, accelerating and decelerating on the road, I think uh, the advent of those features will as well improve safety and um, uh, counteract the distraction level that's going to happen, increasingly happen, Mm. as uh, cell phone use um, Mm. continues. So you're bringing up a very interesting point. I haven't really thought about that until Mm. now, but you brought it up. Cell phone usage, right? I mean, yesterday we drove around town, uh, my wife and I, same thing, and I'm like, every time, look, that guy or that gal, she's (laughs) on the phone or he's on the phone. Sure enough, you rav pass, Mm -hmm. has his phone, right? So now you made the point we need A, B more because it can help mm-hmm. avoid some of the some of the accidents. Do you think in people's mind that it means, well, I got A, B on this car, so I can be on the phone because, you know what, the car will protect me if suddenly somebody in front of me breaks or I too long looked at this text message or LinkedIn or mm-hmm. Facebook or whatever I look at. Is there any talk in the ADAS circles on, on, on your level, with the level of expertise and, and experts you're talking to about that concern mm-hmm. as well? Well, there is a concern that drivers will get worse. Because, because we rely on technology, Exactly. Right? Yeah. And uh, until you bring in autonomy like L3 and L4, um, SA Level 3 and SA Level 4 systems, mm-hmm. um, driver skill will most likely get worse. And uh, there will be a heavier, uh, heavier reliance on technology 
um, back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, when ABS was coming around, we called it Superman syndrome. People thought they were invincible. They would drive like crazy, even in snow, because they had traction control uh, or ESP uh, or uh, ABS. Uh, uh. And so you get that reliance on the technology, and then um, sometimes you see them in a the ditch a mile up the road. Um, so you have to be careful that you use technology in the right way to enhance safety, but it doesn't give you the excuse to, uh, um, let's say, uh, be dangerous in your driving task. Mm. So, um, but it, it most likely will. I think. A lot of people don't even realize what ADOS is. They hear the name. Yeah. Um, I think they're very familiar with blind spot because it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, auto high beam control is something that they see. They don't even know they have, and all of a sudden their high beams are coming on and off, and it's great because yep. most of the time we don't use them because we just don't think about it. Um, AEB, you don't experience until you ap absolutely need it. And so I, I think uh, while some people may know very on a high level that they might have this feature but they don't really know what it is um, I don't think that'll be the issue I think it'll be the lane lane centering lane keep assist um, the reliance on blind spot detection um, that will uh, really take people into the realm where they're like okay I don't have to pay attention as much because the ADOS system will will protect me so sure. we called that the Superman all right Superman. I learned something that's perfect that's why we're here Today, most cars, I would say, have level one ADAS features, new cars coming out, not in the field necessarily, but coming out. If you were to pick two technologies that you're most excited about, about having in cars coming to production today or able on the market, what are they? And I'm not saying level four, level five. Let's mm -hmm. go between level one and level three. But what are the two functions or technologies that you're mostly excited about? Yeah. So I, I really like the level two plus um, uh, systems. Um, level three, um, we'll, we'll see how that deploys. Um, when you take the driver out of the loop, the difference between level two and level three, level two clearly by the SAE definition is you are driving. Yep. Level three is you are not driving. So you have to pay attention. On, on right. level three, you're supposed to be in the loop when when the driver, when the vehicle tells you that you need to take over, yep. but it's very clear by the SAE definition, you are not driving. Yep. So the question is, do you have to pay attention? Because you are not driving. Mm -hmm. it, the vehicle is supposed to give you a certain amount of time to get situational awareness and say, okay, where am I? What's going on? And now I take over. Um, so level two systems, you have to pay attention. So level two plus, level two, whatever it is, you have to pay attention. Level three, now you're getting into the realm where you don't really have to pay attention. Mm. So the difficulty is with the level two plus is keeping the driver in the loop where they have to pay attention. And this is why they have either um, hands-off detection on the steering wheel mm. or you know, driver um, attentiveness yep. that can um, uh, determine whether you're still paying attention to your driving task or the system will disable. But um, the level two plus features are, are really interesting. And I think that will help enhance safety um, because it... You know, as we're talking about distraction, right? I, I was just thinking how many things we think about. We worry about our kids, people are on their cell phones, right? You've got all these things running through your mind and somehow we can drive. But we get distracted. We have medical issues. People do things that aren't legal when they're driving, right? The level two plus system will never stop paying attention. And it'll tell you when it has an issue and it can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But when it's working properly, it's paying attention all the time. And its only job is to look at the traffic around you and, and make sure that you're driving in a safe way. Right. And um, the reliance on the technology, people say, well, does it really work? 
think about, uh, have you ever driven to work and, and you get there and you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do. I sometimes have like some 20, 30 seconds. I'm like, what did I just do the last 20 yeah. or 30 seconds? Right. And, but I clearly paid attention, but my mind can't recollect right. the last mm. 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. But the ADOS systems, are, yeah. they're really getting into the AD systems, sure. which is the level three and above. Yeah. They never stop paying attention. And I mm. think that... Um, uh, the greater deployment of those as the cost of those systems comes down and the capability comes up and mm -hmm. the deployment gets um, uh, more uh, widely, um, let's say, uh, accepted by the public from right. a technology and a price point, um, that'll be really exciting. Yeah. When you're talking about technologies for, again, all the way up to level three, mm -hmm. we develop quite a bit of technologies at MTI, at AVL globally. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest challenges? I know we know about the testing and validation. We see that from Waymo, we see that from Cruise, we've seen that from Motional, all the, the guys that have different deployments in different cities, and uh, they talk about millions and millions of virtual miles. Mm -hmm. so, so I know, or it's fairly known that that is a challenge. So maybe not necessarily focus on that, but something else in the development phase, mm -hmm. or phases, obviously. What do you see the, whatever, one, two, three biggest challenges to develop the ADAS technology? So the, there's a couple challenges. One is to get the sensors in, in the right combination at the right price point so that they can be deployed on, on the vehicles mm -hmm. in, in a more mass scale. Um, the other point is the um, computing power. Um, if you look at a, um, uh, a uh, graphics based system, the, the power consumption is very high and you've got a lot of heat challenges. Um, if you look at a neural net um, type of uh, processing uh, uh, platform, <clears throat> there's a lot of learning that you have to do, but the power consumption is less. There's a lot of exciting technology coming out on both fronts that will help with that kind of um, centralized computing platform with, let's say, um, uh, non-smart sensors, so they're just sensing and sending the data to a central compute platform. That gives the OEMs a lot of flexibility in how they deploy their, their driving features because now you've got the features contained in one place instead of distributed amongst different sensors around the mm -hmm. vehicle. But um, the advent of uh, um, 3D or imaging radar is going to be great. Um, gives you elevation measurements as well as um, really detailed, um, uh, very detailed definition of the environment. Mm -hmm. um, if you've ever had an experience with um, ACC on the road where you go under a bridge and the system slows down, um, the elevation measurements on radar um, haven't been traditionally very good. So it can't really distinguish between a bridge and, and something that's in front of you on the road surface. So uh, the imaging radars will be great. The advent of cost-effective LIDAR. Mm. So now you have between camera, radar, and LIDAR, a sensor suite that can handle almost every environmental condition. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, to get those sensors in a cost-effective way and get them deployed on, on the, let's say, the, the more mass-produced systems, uh, I think is one of the challenges in the industry. Right? There's a huge um, cost pressure on components sure. to get them down so that they can be um, implemented. And then, yeah. of course, you mentioned the validation part, and you know, that is uh, always challenging not just from a technical point of view, but to do it cost-effectively. Yeah. yeah. So a very famous person at Tesla many, many years ago made the statement, LIDAR is not necessary. Mm -hmm. Even recently, they made the statement, we don't even need radar, right? Mm -hmm. What is your opinion? Again, I'll keep it in up to level three, not 
level mm-hmm. four, level five, which I consider ADA, I mean, uh, autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. Do we or do we not need LIDAR to do level three? I think there's... Or should we or should we not? I mean, I, I guess there are companies mm-hmm. that do it that don't use it. There's companies that use mm-hmm. it. But in your opinion, is it is it needed or is the ones that are using it maybe more using it for, you know, I want to test it, mm-hmm. get more familiar, and then once we deploy those vehicles to level four, we're much more comfortable with LiDAR, but mm-hmm. we don't really need it for level three. Or are you saying, no, I believe we do need it for even level two mm-hmm. plus maybe? So there's always advantages and disadvantages for, for each sensor. And I would say if you're invested in one technology, you know, if you're a surgeon and you have a knife, all you want to do is cut, right? So um, if you're invested in, in uh, uh, camera technology and making that the best you can, then of course you're going to say you can do it with, with camera only. But there's advantages and disadvantages to each sensor. Um, for instance, um, you know, uh, cameras don't see well at night. Right? They'll see the headlights, but um, to differentiate. So if you're looking at camera, what do you really mean by camera? You could be looking at camera, but also infrared, because now you can see um, you know, uh, pedestrians very clearly at mm-hmm. night because we give off heat, and we're different than the environment around us. So um, there's that differentiation on the, on the camera side. Um, with, with radar, you get direct velocity measurement as well through Doppler, and uh, it's not as... Um, it's not as reliant on, uh, uh, well, you're not reliant on light. It can see through fog better. So um, uh, there's advantages there. LiDAR gives you very, very precise distance measurements. So as you get into the higher speeds and the more complicated um, type of scenarios, LiDAR has that advantage of um, very, very precise um, distance measurement. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in the end, when you get to the L2 Plus systems, and you get to the L3, um, where really you're taking on the driving task in, in a much varied environment, LiDAR will be um, uh, very much a part of the sensor suite because okay. of that very accurate distance mm-hmm. measurement. Mm-hmm. We talk for a moment now, level four, level five. We've seen a lot of activities by the passenger OEMs over the years that I have seen dying down over the last two to three years, while at the same time on heavy-duty trucks for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, shortages of drivers and all that, and, and the movements of, of goods mainly, mm-hmm. and the increased move is, m- movements of, of, of goods nowadays. Um, how soon do you see level four and level five really deployed on a, I would say, large scale? Mm-hmm. Or at least level four, let's leave level five out. I think that's still years and years out, but level four, four, deliveries between, let's say, even Chicago and Detroit, between major distribution centers. When do you see that for, for heavy-duty trucks? Yeah. So um, just to, to look at the difference between level four and level five, they're, they're really the same technology. It's just level four limits where it operates right, right? and under what conditions. So um, I think the, the reason you're seeing the push on, on the level four and level five for trucks is because of the challenges in the freight industry. It's not a very exciting um, job here out on the open road. So I think there's a, a lot of opportunity for autonomy to complement the existing um, drivers and, and freight companies to balance out and take those, let's say, boring on-road jo- um, uh, routes that maybe a, a human doesn't want to do, right? Yeah. Um, you're away from your family, for instance, for long periods of time. So there's a lot of advantages there. I think when you talk about an 85,000-pound truck barreling down the highway at 70 miles an hour, um, 
there's challenges there, right? The stopping distances for trucks are greater. Um, the maneuverability is and isn't um, as uh, good as uh, as uh, like a, <laughs> a a sports car, right? Especially so, us crazy drivers right, driving around yeah, them, people right? cutting trucks yeah, off and yeah. things like that. So it's it's not a technology that's for the faint of heart, and it's not easy. And while I know that there's some pushes to get the technology out by around the 2025, um, uh, um, you know, calendar year timeframe, um, I think we have to be cautious with it. I know there's been some demonstrations of it working on the road, and that's great. But these are roads that um, uh, are, let's say, have very uh, less challenging weather. Um, not as heavy uh, density of traffic, mm. so it's great and it's a, it's a huge achievement. But to deploy it in mass scale, where you're going to have diff differing um, weather conditions, um, snow, for instance, right? Can you yeah, and inter, I mean inter yeah. intersect, not intersections, but um, um, highway changes. Right? That's why I use yeah. Detroit in to Chicago because yeah, yes, yeah. there's a long time you drive on the same highway, but you still, mm -hmm. if you go from Detroit, there's still many times you have to yeah. switch, right? Mm -hmm. Or toll booths, maybe even mm -hmm. around Chicago. That's what I'm saying. I think. Yeah. What are you saying? Are you saying 2030? Are you saying 2035? I think you'll see some deployments in the 20, 26, 27 time frame. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it'll be limited. Uh, you know, crawl before you walk, walk before you run. No. Um, there is a liability aspect. You want to gain experience <laughs> in the, in the um, let's say, the less complex environments sure. so that you can learn from those without putting anyone in danger, right? You've mm. got an expensive truck, you've got people on the road, you don't wanna, you don't wanna have either of them uh, right. uh, damaged in any way, right? So um, I think you'll start to see some systems in the 26, 27 timeframe, wide, wide adoption, I think will be longer. Mm. Um, one of the things I haven't heard a lot about, um, and I know there's some of the um, OEMs who have addressed this, but you know, when you get a bug in your system, and I mean literally, Right. I know um, if you drive along uh, the highway in Ohio and you hit the fish fly season, you know, it can blind your sensors. Well, it's difficult for a human driver. Now you've got to have an um, uh, uh, autonomous vehicle say, okay, right. what do I do? I have to pull off because right. even some of those can't be cleaned off. So mm -hmm. all of those challenges have to be addressed before right. you can have wide, widespread adoption. All the corner cases, yeah. as we call them, yeah. yeah. Well, bugs hitting your, your sensors is not really a corner case, <laughs> right? I mean, it, well, it, it happens almost every day. Again, and, and, yes. Um, so the, that has to, that's a, a key point that has to be addressed. But the fact then, again, is how do you address then the vehicle driving, right? When, how does mm -hmm. the vehicle detect, oh, my sensor is now too much covered, right? How do mm -hmm. we detect, oh, our windshield now is too dirty, now mm -hmm. I need to turn on the windshield wiper. And, uh, and that's again why you need different technologies, yeah. so you can compare them against each other. It's just like um, looking at uh, diagnosing of temperature sensors in the vehicle. If the vehicle's been sitting, you can take the temperature of all the sensors and they should be within a, a standard range of each other. Mm -hmm. Same thing you can do with the sensors. Mm -hmm. Is the radar seeing the same as the LiDAR as the, as the camera? Um, and therefore you can tell if one technology has been, been degraded or not. And the one thing we, we can't rule out is um, uh, GNSS and IMU data uh, with high definition maps. And can you do a limited risk maneuver with limited sensing capability with really good maps and, and good geolocation data. Mm -hmm. And uh, all those technologies combined give us a whole lot more information than what we take in when we're driving because we tend to focus on just what's in front of us. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, it's amazing we do what we do. Uh, uh, the other thing with commercial vehicles is bringing sound into effect. 
is if you can diagnose sound, you can even diagnose issues before they become a, a mechanical failure yeah. or how do you sense mm -hmm. a, um, a flat tire, all, all of those things, the vibration comes into effect. So when you're looking at a commercial vehicle, you have to take sound, vibration, you know, all your sensing suite, GNSS and um, IMU with geolocation data. You bring all those together and you've got a really powerful um, navigation suite. Mm -hmm. Maybe last question, when, when you look at all the technologies that we're bringing out, all these technologies, starting with software, the sensors, how we integrated the systems engineering, the validation, the simulation tools, the virtual tools, all of those things, what do you see as the two main challenges when developing a level three, let's say again, go level mm -hmm. three or level four, a level three vehicle, what are the biggest challenges you see? So, Maybe again, I'm saying you can, you know, you can say, yeah, you know, I think we're pretty good with AI. Mm -hmm. I think we're pretty good with the compute platform, at least for level threes. Mm -hmm. But we're really still, what I still see struggling, the OEMs or, or, or our customers or we as an industry, not really considering might be cybersecurity mm -hmm. or a really uh, a thorough review of, of the system architecture mm -hmm. and the system behavior, the fail-safe behavior. Those sort, I'm looking for those sorts of things. Maybe the top two or three in, in your mind. So the one thing that I, I hear people have challenges with is how do you get your scenarios to do your testing with, whether it be in the virtual domain mm. or in the real domain. And um, we have an approach. Scenarios like the fish fly, for example. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and even just the, the very geometries that you, you get in, on the roads. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're on the highway, there's design standards that you have to meet to be an interstate. Um, that's not true on surface streets. They can come in every shape and, and form and speed and, and geometry. So um, we have a way of generating those scenarios so that you can get, you know, the hundreds of thousands, millions of different scenarios run through those in the virtual domain. And um, so we have a solution to, to bring those um, varied scenarios um, to bear. Um, the second is how do you link all those test results back to your requirements? Um, we've come up with different methods to do that, but I think that's a huge challenge because the more you test, now those tests have to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. So um, A, you have to have good reporting and dashboarding to get meaningful results out of those tests, um, which we have tools and, and techniques to do, and then also link them back into your requirements so that you can prove that your system actually has been tested and sure. validated to, to, um, uh, to its uh, uh, intended performance. Um, I think one of the things that will be chal challenging is to adopt all the technology into a right-sized compute platform. Um, I think the the, uh, the hardware and the chips that are coming out today have significantly greater power, and um, that's great. The right ba the right balance will be how much computing power do I need um, to execute the driving task safely. And how do I do it in a cost-effective way and, and um, use of resources, as I was saying, for heat, right? If you, if you have a really um, high-power system, you might have to look at water cooling, right? And that adds mm -hmm. cost to the, to, the, um, mm -hmm. to the vehicle as well. So there's lots of um, technical, technological challenges in the uh, compute platform space okay. as well. Last question for you. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot maybe. What's more important, the software or the sensor? So that's a, that's a good question, and I would say it's the software. And um, the reason why I say that is um, in uh, my past experience working on radar, um, there's, 
there's some companies that have really excellent front ends in terms of the, the radar side, you know, the, um, the antenna design, uh, the chirp design. The RF. Uh, and yeah, the RF, RF mm -hmm. side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and they have really lousy software, and they have a poorly performing um, or even a mid-range software, so they have a, a poor mid-range um, performance of or maybe they balance their RF side with a mid-range software and have a good sensor. Mm -hmm. And then there were suppliers out there that had really lousy RF, but awesome software, and they had a really um, well-performing um, uh, sensor. So um, the software guys will love this, but you can, you can balance def deficiencies in the hardware with really good software. So mm -hmm. I think it'll always be... Um, where you come up with really innovative and great solutions on the software side. Okay. So maybe another reason then why uh, everybody talks about software-defined vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. All right, very good. Thank you, Tim. You're welcome. Thank you. For your insight here, very, very valuable and uh, interesting. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.